bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
a massive Christmas lunch at my parents' oh, house, yeah. <laughs> and then a Christmas dinner with your folks. We went out and had Finn Thai. So in my stomach on that first day or that second day in Vegas, I had, and I had not gone to the bathroom. Don't mean to get too graphic <laughs> here, friends. so visceral. Because I'm being honest here. But he's, I had like a picture. the pot roast lunch from my parents, the Finn Thai dinner from your parents. Then we went to Kraft Steak. Then we had breakfast. And then we had Roy Choi best friend and I had not gone to the bathroom <laughs> all of that stuff plus whatever I ate on the airplane which was you know the snack box I can't deny myself a tapas snack box so all of that stuff for like the first three days was just like crammed into Brad's belly and eventually it came out and it was a wild ride I'm just seeing like one of those like geological <laughs> surveys. Yeah, I'm just a like layers. Sample. Oh God! You oh, do God. not want to be at the bottom of that core sample. But that just goes back to my theme of like my birthday is like a weird time to oh, party. But it was so good, and you know we also like I mean the main reason we went wasn't really to eat. The main reason was you're a massive fan of Penn and Teller, yes, and they have a whole new set, and you really wanted to see that, and so we got front row tickets to Penn and Teller on Lisa's birthday on the 27th and to see Penn and Teller that close and to see the the magic the wizardry that they do on stage was like a, 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 an astonishing thing like I like I could not believe what I was seeing or not seeing I think aside from like two tricks like everything was completely new Teller did the coins and goldfish again yeah and we had seen the disappearing an elephant before, which this time I got to be on the stage for, which was super fun and exciting. Throughout the show, Penn would occasionally look down at you and acknowledge your really rad monkey snow beanie that you were wearing. Which was a gift from you. Which was a gift from me. I did, I gave you a whole snow monkey's outfit. Which I decided, like, I'm going to, it's my birthday. I'm <laughs> going to be my dorkiest self. Yeah, and, and, and Penn appreciated that. Well, I, I know also that he's a huge, monkeys fan and particularly a Mike Nesmith fan. They so at friends. the very end when they were bringing people up on stage, mostly children, he then also <laughs> said like you and the monkey's hat, you gotta come up here. Yeah, and yeah. so you got to be there this time for that trick behind the scenes. You were like in the back part of the circle that surrounded the elephant. Yeah. And I mean, like you couldn't make sense of it, right? Like how do they yeah, do it, Lisa? I have no idea. Like the actual children were like getting down on the stage and like really looking underneath and through. Um, and I, I didn't do that though. I wish that I had, I was totally jealous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like that cow in an elephant suit completely, I have like, you could see on the, on the actual stand that there is a door, but like, you can't see it from underneath, right? Yeah. And you're looking through at the other people's feet on yeah, the other yeah. side, maybe? I have no it, idea. Yeah, I, I can't make heads or tails of it. And that's what's so freaking wonderful about it, magical about it. Uh, so that was probably I the highlight. Talk, I want to talk about the new, my my favorite new trick. Okay. Did you have a favorite new trick? No, You let, let's hear what you got. My favorite new trick was the needle on the haystack. Mm. So he had someone from the audience come up and put, pick a needle from a whole table full of needles. And he picked, which needle can you remember? No, The I size 18 tapestry needle. And they said, you can't forget. Like, You're such a nerd. Weed is legal now. You can't forget which <laughs> needle you pick, the size 18 tapestry needle. And then he also picked a card, which was, I think, like the 10 of spades. I thought it was eight of spades. Whatever. And then you, who's the nerd now, Brad? Uh, I, we're both nerds. We're and, on the record. And so they took the needle 
and they threw it into a big uh, hanging bale of hay and they pulled the hay down and then the size 18 tapestry needle was woven through the card that the guy picked. And that was freaking cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a fun play on the needle in a haystack thing. So if you're ever in Vegas, you got to go to the Rio. You got to see Penn and Teller. And you got to see them again. Because as they mentioned many times, both on stage and off, they actually changed their act over time. So if we were to go back to see David Copperfield, that would be 99.9% of the same show. I don't want to get too real on the podcast here, but did you see uh, that list of names that went to Epstein Island? Oh, no. David Copperfield was on it. Oh, well, he had plenty of extra time because he was not updating his act. Oh, gosh, dark. Dark, dark, dark. But yeah, so an incredible trip to Las Vegas. And then we also saw Piff the Magic Dragon. Also re- really Super wonderful. Fun. Yeah, yeah, over at the Flamingo would recommend seeing Piff too. Extremely funny. Like that he's much more blue than mm-hmm. Penn and Teller. Uh, I would say Penn and Teller aren't blue at all. Uh but Piff Piff he was not family friendly. Not family friendly. What? And if you're in the audience of a Piff uh, event you're, you are not safe you're not safe you're not safe <laughs> he, he does great crowd work and uh you know he could eviscerate you with a one-liner or two yeah, uh, yeah. which was delightful he didn't do it to us but i would be willing i would be willing to be eviscerated by piff the magic dragon so yeah a great time in las vegas we also went to three vegas comic book shops uh we went to torpedo comics we went to alternate reality comics and we went to cosmic comics and had a great time at each But Cosmic Comics, the place that we went to last, that's where we scored the most regarding back issues. Oh, man. I love the way that their back issues were organized. They had all of the gold and silver age in this really nice wooden cabinet, which is where I spent my time because I was like, it's my birthday. I'm getting romance comics, which I got a fistful of. And then (laughs) in just on tables and regular long boxes, they had all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on the, you know, the regular back issues, they had a sign on the first table saying like what they had just acquired and put into the stacks, Mm -hmm. which I have never seen before and was really impressed by. And then the trade paperback shelves were full of out of print trades at cover price. So we nabbed some really cool stuff there too. Uh, So if you're in Vegas, visit alternate reality, visit torpedo and definitely visit cosmic comics. And then we topped off our trip with ringside seats to the WWE Live Holiday Tour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, special shout out to our friend Jason Ayers for making that happen. Uh, seeing the WWE at the MGM Grand Arena, like ringside, like I've never been to any sporting event that close before. Thousands of people around you. And, you know, Lisa and I are not like the biggest WWE fans, but you got to appreciate an event from that close. Like, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I didn't know who any of these people were, who to root for, but we just gauged what the audience was doing and we just followed suit. And yeah, and, and Jason was in the ring refereeing. We've seen Jason before at a WWE event in Baltimore. But, but we, we were, were so, far, so away. far away. And he wasn't a ref that time. He was working behind the scenes. And so to get to see him actually like ref a match, actually ref, I think, four matches, three matches, mm-hmm. was an extreme treat. And that dude really put himself through it with those with those brawls. 
It's fun to just get caught up in the whirlwind of emotions. You know what I mean? People are like so excited and so intense. And um, especially as the show went on, the audience was like at odds with each other. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like what I like so much about that audience is it's like every generation, there's yeah. babies to old men at these shows and like every race, every gender, uh, like, and, and, and everyone is just in a good mood. Even if they're sometimes screaming venom at an <laughs> opponent or chanting for like, table, table, Yeah, 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 table. that's my favorite part when you hear like the voice of an six-year-old child going like, you suck! <laughs> like, just like, wow, I'm scandalized. <laughs> So yeah, we ended the year celebrating the birth of Lisa. <laughs> Yay! And that other guy. And then we begin this year by celebrating the birth of Flash Gordon. 90 years ago this Sunday. Today, you're listening to this episode hopefully on Sunday, January 6th. 90 years ago, Alex Raymond put Flash Gordon into the universe. And the origin of Flash Gordon is basically this. King Features, the syndicate, they wanted their Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers was doing gangbusters at the time, and they wanted something similar. And at first, they went after Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter of Mars, but they couldn't secure the rights, and they got Alex Raymond to create a new character, Flash Gordon, which they basically did by copying the plot from the novel When Worlds Collide, in which two planets threaten to destroy each other by colliding into each other. And so in Flash Gordon's case, you learn in that very first strip from 90 years ago that Mongo is on a collision course with Earth. And then Dr. Zarkov, he accidentally knocks down a plane that's carrying Flash Gordon and Dale Arden and then kidnaps them and then forces them into a situation and thrusts them onto the planet Mongo, right? And then we have 90 years worth of adventures. And what I love about the origin of Flash Gordon is how cold and calculated and market-minded it is. You know, King Features just wants their Buck Rogers. And then like that cycle in the 70s would repeat when George Lucas would go seeking the rights to Flash Gordon to make his big sci-fi serial movie and then was denied. So then he just does a riff off of that and makes Star Wars, which then causes Dina De Laurentiis to go like, no, now it's time to actually make our Flash Gordon movie. And then they make you know, the Mike Hodges film, which we just screened at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia. Which has, of course, eclipsed Star Wars in every way. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, to me, like, even though these pieces of art are, like, the result of a bunch of, like, dudes in a boardroom saying, like, the market has space for this kind of right. thing. And so we need to make the money that is that would be the result of, like, filling that space. Like, our love for... Flash Gordon and Star Wars and all of the the art that that has spawned is genuine and it's warm and I feel like I'm like a little bit late to the game with my Flash Gordon yeah, fandom. Yeah, same, same. Like I still have not really read any of the Alex Raymond strips. I've read the first one, mm -hmm. you know, in preparation for this episode and I think I've encountered a few strips here and there but, you know, my big in to Flash Gordon was the Mike Hodges film and I've rarely explored beyond that movie. When did you first see the Mike Hodges film? Because 
because for me, it was at our screening at the Alamo <laughs> Draft House Winchester. Uh, well, before that, I, I think I first saw it in high school. I didn't really become a huge fan of it until the DVD release came out. Uh, th that was like in the early aughts. That was when Alex Ross did the cover art for that uh, disc, uh, which is gorgeous. So you were like genuinely excited when you found out that Flash Gordon was returning as a comic strip yeah, in 2023. Yes, uh, because I was a fan of the film, but mostly what I was excited about was the fact that Dan Scotty was going to be doing the Flash Gordon strip, and I was a big fan of Dan. I, I love following him on Instagram and Twitter. He puts out the best cartoons. Uh, you know, he did work on The Spirit, and I was a big fan of his stuff there. Lavender Jack I was a big fan of. So it just seemed like the perfect pairing of cartoonist and character. And when you guys hear this interview, you will hear how genuinely true that is. I feel like this is another example of like perfect property gets paired with the exact right person to make that thing. Like we talked about with Dave Chisholm and Miles Davis in The Search for the Sound. Exactly, and the result is electric. And this is also coming around at a point when I have just decided that I like comic strips. <laughs> you know, something that Lisa grew up with, but it took me 40 years to discover their true genius. And so this Flash Gordon, Dan's Flash Gordon, is the first time in my life in which every day I wake up anticipating reading the next strip in the series. And it is such a revelatory way to consume a story. And it's as old as dirt, but brand new to me. The rhythm takes a little getting used to. Like for me, it's hard to read. Like I didn't really put it together how much I was actually enjoying Flash Gordon until I was preparing for this interview and just read it through. Mm, like, yeah, in one sitting. Exactly, where like, cause you're getting a story four panels at a time, which means something directionally has to change every four panels. And then you also have to retain that information for a full 24 hours, which for me is tricky actually. What I tend to do is I read the previous day's strip and then I read the current strip. And then at the end of the week, when the Sunday strip arrives, I read the entire week strip. So I've been rereading Flash Gordon since October that way. It's like a meditation yeah, for you. Yeah, it really is. And then before having this conversation with Dan, like you, I went back and I read the entire thing. And it does read extremely well that way. Dan's been doing this strip since October and they've been some of my favorite comics of 2023 and since the new year hit he's done something rather incredible and I don't necessarily want to spoil it and we do spoil it eventually in the conversation but again I'll do a spoiler warning in the conversation preparing you to turn your ears off if you haven't read it already and I would ask you to do that right now too like if you don't want to know what Dan has done since January 1st with Flash Gordon then skip ahead 15 seconds and also go to the link in the show notes that will take you directly to the King features website where you could read these strips online if they're not being published in your local paper. But since January 1st, Dan Scotty has taken every strip as an opportunity to show off a different era of Flash Gordon's continuity. So his Flash Gordon goes into a reality that looks like Alex Raymond's. Then we go to 
Buster Crabs cereals. Then we go to the Mike Hodges Flash Gordon. Then we go to the Jim Keefe. Actually, we also go to the 90s era cartoon Flash Gordon, the skater Flash Gordon. And Dan is just having so much fun being a chameleon within these different styles. And it's rather astonishing to witness. To me, it just like underscores the reverence that Dan Scotty has for the continuity of Flash Gordon and kind of bringing them together in this bouquet so you could kind of like look at all of the like little flowers at one time is actually really moving to me. Yeah, and I don't think every cartoonist could do this. He has the talent to be this morphing figure in the strip and you know I'm I'm in awe of it. Another thing that's cool about Dan's strip is that it picks up exactly where Jim Keefe left off 20 years yeah. ago. But it doesn't require you to go back and read those old comics. He is creating a new jumping on point for people who have for us, for people who have never read Flash Gordon comic strips before. It begins with an ending. Ming the Merciless has been defeated. He's been deposed and he might actually be dead. And the leaders of all of these other planets that are in the allied Mongothic nations are trying to figure out how to redistribute the power that, that's been left by this vacuum of like, there's no big emperor anymore. When Flash and Dale and Dr. Zarkov landed in Mongo, there was the civil war already brewing and kind of like waiting to happen. And they just kind of like got thrust into it. And Flash Gordon became this kind of like third party hero guy. A, a mythic figure, a celebrity uh, within the Mongo factions. But like now that Ming is like not a thing anymore, like what is the purpose of Flash and these other human beings that like shouldn't really be there in the first place? And I, I think that that's what's so interesting about Dan picking up at this point because it's it's really nebulous. Exploring that is at the heart of this conversation with Dan. Like what is the appeal of Flash Gordon? What makes him unique from other pulp adventurers of that time or of our time right now? And I really like the answers that we come up with in this conversation with Dan Scotty. And you're about to hear those, but before we get to them, we gotta do something called Referrals! Sponsored by Omnibus. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top-tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we have our referrals segment. The idea is to give you, the counselees, further reading on the themes of the episode. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books. Okay, Brad, I feel like you have to go first because you found, <laughs> you've already spoiled to me what your pick is and i like, you win. Yeah, for me, this was the only choice, especially after Dan Scotty provided that beautiful virtual introduction to our Flash Gordon screening at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. In that intro, he tells this story of watching Flash Gordon with his friend for the first time, or it was his friend's first time watching Flash Gordon. And his friend says, oh, I get it. 
Star Wars is virgin Flash Gordon, right? Like you watch the Mike Hodges film and Flash Gordon is extremely horny. And Dan would say that that's actually a critical element to understanding Flash Gordon. And it's there in his strip and it's there in the Alex Raymond strips. So with that in mind, I was like, okay, I know the perfect companion comic to Flash Gordon and it's gotta be Barbarella yes. from Jean-Claude Forrest. Correct. Uh, Humanoids has two books out that contains all of the Barbarella comics and they are relatively cheap. You can purchase the first one for like $5 on Omnibus. And what's great about these new editions of Barbarella is that the translation is adapted by Kelly Sue DeConnick yeah. of, you know, Captain Marvel fame and Pretty Deadly. Of comics. Comics fame, right? And they read so well. They're beautifully uh, written. They're beautifully illustrated. And they are extremely horny in that way that the Mike Hodges Flash Gordon film is horny. Extremely horny, like the Roger Vadim Barbarella film is, which is why I love it. It is like <laughs> a sci-fi sex ballet starring Jane Fonda, fully nude. I have not watched that film in a long time. And Arrow Video just put out a new edition with a Tula Latte cover that is to die for. Yum. So that's my referral, Lisa. I know you can't top it, but I what know. else do you got? I am like Richard Blaze on season four of Top Chef. <laughs> I totally choked. Everyone's disappointed. No, I love my pick. My pick is from Vault Comics, and it is bonding a love story about people and their parasites. I love this idea. So, like, for me, like... Flash Gordon is a romance comic and all of this like sci-fi fantasy stuff is like incidental. So I wanted another comic that was like romance forward, but also had some kind of incidental sci-fi stuff. Yeah, good pick. I've been seeing bonding on the shelf at Victory Comics since February of 2023. And I have picked it up from the store and walked around with it and then set it down again because it is so weird. And the and the cover is so like YA romance comic, but also with parasites where I'm like, I don't know, like Is this too much for Prudy Judy Lisa? Yeah, no, not even that. Not that, but like is this going to be two tastes that taste great together? Oh, I see. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, or is it going to be like... Um, Will these genres bond? Yeah, yeah. And um, to me, the cover is a misdirect in like the most fun way. It's from Matthew Ehrman and Emily Pearson. And it takes place in this post-apocalyptic... I wouldn't even say that. The world is continuing, but it is post this big alien invasion where humanity has just had to accept that to continue to exist, we have to agree to allow these parasitic aliens to like live on our chests. And we're just expected to just live our lives with this like reminder of our mortality, just kind of like hanging from our fronts. Gross. And yeah, it's super gross, but also like, that is what love is like. Like, I never really thought so much about my mortality until 
I met you. Right, right, right. Like right. it was actually a major source of anxiety when we first got married. Like every time one of us left the house without the other person, I would be hit with this like wave of anxiety. Don't get in a car crash and die. Exactly. So, to the point where like we have these like ridiculous routines when we leave the house <laughs> where we're like, okay, I'll, I'll yell back like, I'm looking at you. Because there's one part of me that's afraid it's going to be for the, like the last time. Oh gosh, Lisa. So um, this, the book starts out focused around Marcus and Laura. And they're like second generation parasited individuals so they don't really remember a time before the parasites but they are still close enough to it where like it feels kind of unfair mm. and they're trying to start start a relationship with this like re reality hanging over their head it's a little darker than like i would say like a, your usual like focused on preteen teen age romance comics it deals with like suicidal ideation and mortality like a lot so i i feel like those trigger warnings are necessary but also go into this book kind of allowing it to surprise you and just knowing that it's not going to be what you expect uh, okay i'm i'm definitely intrigued i'm curious about it and it's in your omnibus uh collection so i'll have to borrow your pad and read it i like how we have two separate yeah, omnibus counts. collections uh so yeah you can buy both of these books through omnibus uh if you have a browser you have a store like you don't need the app you just go on click the link in the show notes go right to the omnibus store and start browsing take a look at the preview content for these two comics and see what you think and uh yeah uh enjoy and that's been our referrals i was really far away from the mic for that one Another fun aspect to Dan's Flash Gordon in this conversation with Dan about Flash Gordon is that it's become another gateway for me. Like, it sent me to Alex Raymond. It sent me to Jim Keefe. It sent me to all these other influences upon Flash Gordon. And I'm really excited about all these new things that I'm discovering thanks to this 90-year-old character. It's astounding to think about, like, Flash Gordon being around for 90 years. Like... Flash Gordon is older than Superman. Flash Gordon is older than Batman. In fact, these characters were influenced by him. And I like what Dan had to say about, like, the first time he saw Flash Gordon, it seemed a little bit, like, corny because, like, he's seen aspects of it in all of these other comics. But it was in Flash Gordon first, right? So, it like, it was so tremendously groundbreaking and creative bridge building. Yeah, yeah. And like that square jawedness of Flash Gordon is a little bit like the blue Boy Scout-nish of Superman. Mm -hmm. You know, from a distance, you can kind of dismiss it. But if you really dig into the square jawedness of Flash Gordon, oh, there's something interesting there. And that's what we try to do in this conversation with Dan. It's just so hard for me to believe that Flash Gordon's goodness goes all of the way down. And Dan insisting, like, that's the case. He's, like, just a good guy makes him more interesting to me than less interesting for me. Like, to me, like... Just the magic of Flash Gordon making me like one jock. Like, that's a miracle. <laughs> oh, on that note, let's get to it. Dan, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. As have we. First, we have to uh, thank you on mic, on the record, 
for providing a beautiful virtual intro to our Flash Gordon screening at it the Alamo perfect. Draft House. Yes, they had a blast in Winchester. Uh, they really liked your take on Flash Gordon. I'm very happy to hear that. And I think that's kind of where we might want to start. You say something in that virtual intro uh, that really delighted Lisa and I. We're in referring to the film, not the Alex Raymond strip, but in referring to the Mike Hodges movie, you mentioned this story about how you were watching it with a friend and your friend stops at one point and says, oh, I get it. Star Wars is Virgin Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah. And man, that hit home with everybody in the audience, but also with Lisa and myself. I'm glad to hear it. Well, I I, I really put that in my pocket because my my friend, they're um, they're not a comic book person. They're they're not a real nerd culture person. They're really into like hyper pop. They love Grimes. They they love uh, like real trashy collage art, and uh, and so I like watching genre movies with them. So I can watch them like turn green when when I make them watch Doctor Strange, and then like come alive when uh, when they when they watch the Batman, uh, and so this was an instance of of them identifying that there there is a kind of electric horniness to to Flash Gordon, which I do think goes back to the to the original comics, to the original Alex Raymond iteration, and and I I thought. That's a very canny observation, and it's something I'm going to keep in mind because there's there's an electricity that gets lost if you make something like Flash Gordon to 1950s network TV, mm. so to speak. My understanding is that you didn't come to the Flash Gordon strips until later in life. They weren't like a childhood thing. You had like a passing understanding of what Flash Gordon is just through cultural osmosis. But it wasn't until you were really studying cartooning that you found Alex Raymond. That's right. Yeah. Um, I uh, The Flash strips, you know, just looking at them casually, like looking at them as samples of them. And uh, I think that uh, Les Daniels' History of Superman book had, a, had some Flash panels reprinted in them. And they just looked so old fashioned to my, at that point, untrained eye, like 12 year old untrained eye. Right. Um, but then when I learned more about the, the, the influence that Flash Gordon had, I approached it from that perspective. You know, this is where we get almost all of our golden age superhero ideas. Um, like the, uh, in just browsing through the, the first six years of the Alex Raymond strips, which is what my strip primarily draws from, like all the time I'm, I'm seeing like, oh, that's the pose that was referenced for the detective comics number 27 cover, the first Batman cover, right? I, there's a flash wears a costume that's almost indistinguishable from the silver age, Barry Allen flash costume mm. at, at one point. Like it's, it's all, it's such a trove of, of uh, raw material that got turned into Cape comics. And so uh, I, I approached it from like a Citizen Kane perspective of like, okay, this is an important document. Let's get into it. And that was my way into understanding what was great about it artistically. Um, and it is this, uh, I think, especially in the early days of the strip, it's this exuberance. It's this, uh, it's so clearly just what Alex Raymond and his collaborators just enjoyed that they put in one big 
gumbo there, there's like whole arcs where there's no ray guns or anything it's basically a conan comic and uh and so that um that's when i started to really appreciate it comic itself and then of course alex raymond as an artist and so when it was was it during this period where you noticed that electricity that you said was there in the alex raymond strips that then gets funneled into that mike hodges film Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the first flash strips or flash arcs that I read was this, uh, this very famous one that introduces the Witch Queen Azura, who, uh, who rules this sort of evil underground cave kingdom. Uh, and she, uh, she captures our boys and she um, sort of uh, bewitches Flash. So, so he, he loses his memory and thinks he's in love with her. And she uh, enslaves Dale, our female lead, to be uh, like a servant wench in her in her castle. Uh, and uh, and Dale um, Dale is fully like her memories are totally intact, so it's it's a real nightmare for her. It's a very Chris Claremont kind of arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so the the famous um, installment has Dale. Uh, she's just being like worked to the bone, and she spills this tray. Uh, you know, bringing uh, dinner service to Flash and, and Azura, and uh, and and Azura like snaps at her and starts like like going to to hit her, and but and Flash, even though he doesn't remember who Dale is, he's still like he has the heart of a hero, or whatever. And so he he intercedes and he's like, you know, if you if you if you treat that girl poorly, you know, we're not going to be we're not going to be tight anymore. And then and Azura's like, yes, of course, I'm sorry. I, I forgot myself. The last panel is uh is like this is in newspapers. Dale uh chained to a wall, stripped to the waist, being whipped by big muscular female guards. All right. It, it's like the stuff that was in Joe Schuster's uh yeah. notebooks, but but just out for the world to see. And so that that you know, when you're expecting something corny to get something that like pre-code um was definitely yeah that, that's where i noticed that electricity um and i'm not like a i i, I had a pretty I, I would say repressed upbringing when it came to any kind of like erotic media and so um like my 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 like interest in, in in what I was seeing in the strip was very mechanical. I'm like, this is giving it something that that it wouldn't have had otherwise. How how does how does this work? How do we harness this? Oh, that's fun. I also had a very repressed uh, upbringing, so I approach everything through that filter as well. Um, Hell yeah! So it seems in your comic though, still like Dale and Flash are kind of in like a will they won't they like. There's one panel in particular where Flash is like. If we could just get one second of time together, <laughs> I would love to explore this inexplicable, indescribable thing between us. Yeah. But why start their relationship in in that kind of more nebulous place? How come they're not already a couple after everything they've gone through? <laughs> well, I, I thought that um, you know we I made the decision when I was asked to pitch for the series that I wanted to do it. Um, where they'd been on on the planet for a couple of years, uh, I, I wanted to start with the overthrow of Ming because um, I just thought that was a cool sort of fresh uh, fresh spot for everybody to jump in on people who aren't familiar with Flash and also people who know the canon. 
um, I, uh, I, I, I sort of in my head, I was thinking of an all-star Superman style story mm. where no matter who you are, you can't really call the shots of where it's going. Um, but because we are starting it from, from zero, from the new continuity, you, you start thinking like, well, what, what stuff are we leaving some wiggle room on? Um, cause you, you don't want to just use up everything, take everything as red. Um, like when Batman, the animated series, uh, you know, uh, hit the scene in the early nineties, they had Harvey Dent not be Two-Face yet. Um, and so I thought that because I wanted to go with this um, very kind of anxious, scared Dale, I thought that um, having the relationship not be totally pinned down yet, not having it be something that she could rely on necessarily, or something that she would be afraid to rely on, that just seems like a real cool place to put her with flash being somebody who wants her to get close to him, but, but kind of understands that it has to be on her terms. Mm. There's kind of a like Rocky Adrian dynamic there. I see a lot of potential in aura as well, because I love like the Sunday strips are my particular favorite. Cause that's when we get into these characters, principles and their motivations. Flash is like very straightforward he's like i want to live i want to love you know uh the only reason i am doing this is because these people are interfering with my autonomy and the autonomy of people that i like so you know i i just want to do do right so that i can get back to just like living a more or less normal life and he's playing just some so, polo he yeah playing some <laughs> polo. he's just like so good like he is so yeah. inarguably just a good solid guy um, where Aura has that kind of like, she desperately wants to be good, but it is like hard for her. And I can see that kind of aspirational goodness creating maybe a little, a little chemistry, a little, um, a little something there. I don't know. Oh, you're, I mean, nail on the head. Uh, Aura, Dale, and Flash is the original love triangle of the series. And, um, Honestly, Aura wasn't a character I was all that interested in before I started like writing the the comic. I don't think she's even in my pitch. But in in a conversation with um with T, my editor, who like brought me on the project and is is uh, really great to work with. Um, we were we were talking about Aura and how the sort of the the new government was going to work after Ming was deposed, and T just like came through with the heater, which was Aura wants to be a good person, but is bad at it. And that's basically what I put in that Sunday strip. Cause it's, it is perfect. She, she's raised by the literal most evil man in the universe. And, uh, and, and I love characters like that who like have the desire to be something they aren't equipped to be. Um, because there's a, there's like a, there's a, a, a talent there's like a 10,000 hours to being a good person to being nice um and and so there's this aspirational element to flash for her and it, it does fall in that little territory of like well do I want to be with him or do I want to be him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and I think especially as we see um how her relationship with Baron evolves, her relationship with 
you know, our main three characters evolves. We, um, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, these characters are connected in such an interesting web of ways. Like half of the Kings and Dukes and princesses are real related to each other by marriage, just in the original comics and, and let alone what, what I'm doing with it. And I feel like, I feel like aura and flash is a great example of a whole bunch of potential that's baked in that we can just kind of, feel our way through as the strip goes on you spoke to our buddy zach Quaintance over at the beat uh just as the series was getting back off the ground and you said something interesting to him uh, that i clocked uh that your flash gordon is a flash gordon for anybody like it's it's you're not trying to do uh, this ain't your dad's uh, Flash Gordon. It my is favorite, your dad's. My favorite double negative ever. It's not not your dad's Flash Gordon. <laughs> but you wanted yeah. your Flash Gordon to be for your dad's and uh, for you and your friends and everybody around you. For every one of us, you might say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, I uh, something I, I said. I think in that piece, I could be wrong. Um, when I f- the first version of Flash that I pitched. Um, it was the same basic premise, but um, A, it was visually a lot more uh, rooted in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot more of a throwback. Um, but also Flash was a, a lot more of a golden retriever. He was more of a himbo. He was a, like, I, I thought of him as like a very competent cronk. And, uh, and King came back with like, well, what we really want is is like a straight down the line hero. We 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 want like core Flash, and so I, I as you as you mentioned, you know he's pure good basically, and I I thought all right, well let's do that. No no irony, no no uh, you know recontextualization. Let's let's take kind of like uh, Christopher Reeve in the original Superman movie. Let's take as as pure a, a version of of the guy as we can get. Uh, and let other characters bounce against him, because um, as as you can as you can see as the comic goes on, we do take a lot more liberties with some of the other characters. Um, Baron's quite a bit different. Uh, I'm leaning into some things with Dale that other versions have tried to bury. Um, some there are some characters who will turn out to be you know, maybe not as reliable as we would want them to be or not as good as we want them to be or surprisingly uh, virtuous. Um, we we have freedom to explore that because Flash is the, he's the lodestone. He's, he's holding it all together. Um, and some, some people have, I noticed some readers thought that I was doing something modern with Flash, with his personality. Um, like they they said, well he 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 shouldn't be cocky. He shouldn't like be making fun of people. But you go back to those first six years. Flash is kind of a bully. He's he's uh, he makes jokes and isn't funny, which is a great <laughs> thing. Like he's he's not a clever man. He's very intelligent. He's 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 very quick on his feet. But uh, but he's he's a he's a big old jock. Um, and. And so the, my character draws from that again, because I'm, I'm not trying to make a boring version of Flash. I'm trying to make the, I'm, I'm trying to bake the original recipe. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. 
I love writing Flash. I love that confidence he has. Um, I, I love that you started after Ming has been dethroned. Maybe he's dead. We don't know. Mongo is in this completely like unstable place. And Flash really is the lodestone, right? Like everything, he seems to be the, the moving part between all of these kingdoms. And he's a celebrity there of sorts. But like, yeah. when is he done? You know what I mean? He doesn't really owe anything to Mongo. Dr. Z wants to get him back to Earth. Dr. Z has like this, this guilt that he's carrying that he wants to fulfill by bringing them back home. Like, how will Flash know when he's done with Mongo? Or is he just going to keep doing, because he's just like such a great guy, he's just <laughs> going to keep doing what they want him to do? Nominally, the three humans, uh, Dale Zarkov and Flash, want to get home that's that's sort of their stated objective but something we'll be getting into is how true is that for mm -hmm. the, the miscellaneous people um i say in dale's first uh point of view sunday episode that that um that there's there's maybe something waiting for her back on earth that she's not stoked about um and uh and you know uh there's an Arnie aspect to it. There's a there's a like returning to reality aspect to it that I think I think will be it, it's interesting to see how the different characters react to it. Um, but it, that's definitely a question. I mean, the their whole mission was to go to this planet and save the Earth, and they've theoretically done that. So uh, there's also an element of like, how do you get out of Afghanistan? Mongo is not going to let them leave very easily. You know, my interpretation of Flash is, you know, he's very forward momentum, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and and what once he's moving, he's not stopping. And that is his fearlessness. And I think his fearlessness comes from a place of total confidence, uh, mm -hmm. which which is extremely appealing to somebody who doesn't have that. Uh, um, <laughs> and, and, and Flash is just going to keep reacting to what's in front of him. And as long as he's still on the side of good getting away getting out of mongo getting out of afghanistan uh could very well prove impossible it's true um i i think of it as you know flash is uh he's basically captain america but uh in terms of like what his physical abilities are but what, what how i have it in my notes is that flash's one superpower is that he doesn't choke like whatever he whatever he tries to do physically he's going to nail it if he's trying to make a moral decision he's going to get it right at least as far as my understanding of morality is <laughs> um and it does mean that he is he's he's a little bit of an automaton in 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 certain ways he has his own opinions on things and he's he's kind of a in his own weird way he's kind of a deep guy but um but you're right, he's very reactive. And like with Dale, wanting to be with her, he will still defer to her. I mean, uh, I, I don't know why this is the phrase that's coming to mind, but he's deferring to her autonomy. Mm -hmm. uh, he 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 wants people to do things in their own time. And, and he, uh, it's really only when, as you point, as you said, another body is interfering with that that he gets involved um which from a writing perspective is really useful 
because it means that whenever you need him to do something, he can do it. And whenever you need him to step back and let other characters, um, like the, there are, I, th I did like a whole week where like even just in these first two months where Flash barely says anything. Yeah. Because um, he doesn't have to. The comic's called Flash Gordon. Like I, I'm, I'm not worried about his presence in the strip. Like the the comic's called Flash Gordon. I'm I'm not worried about losing him in the other characters. Like he can he cannot be, uh, he he can just be in the background for a couple panels or, or a couple whole strips because immediately thereafter he's going to be like throwing a spear through through something. Like he's going to do something cool and visual, and he. He and I are both patient enough to wait for that. When are we getting the Dale Sunday strip where we get into her motivations? Because I feel like you were like withholding them from us. Like, why are we getting, we're getting barren before we know what's up with Dale? Like <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, the, the, the strip, the strips that are coming out this week, that uh, which are our, our 90th anniversary strips, that is the culmination of our first arc. Um, we're starting a fresh second arc the week after. And that one is a very Dale-centric arc. arc. Like she's really in the middle of this one um, in a way that I don't know if she's ever really been before in any other version. Certainly not in, in the original strips. Um, and certainly not this version of Dale, who's not like a, a battle lady, who's, who's not... Uh, um, you know, it, it, you it, take a step back, silly boys. I'm going to handle this. Like that, that version, that, that that revisionist version is not present in her. Um, which is why I love her. I think she's so cool. I I love, I love that there's just this normal person dropped in the middle of all this. Like Zarkov's a, a a bipolar wizard, and Flash Gordon is you know. Apollo on a polo team, but Dale is, uh, I mean, if, if there's a player character in the, in the comic for me, it's Dale. Like what we do know about her is that she is taking in all of the information. Like she, her, like, beca because I think because she's scared, you know, and, mm -hmm. and because she doesn't feel safe, like she is extremely observant and mm -hmm. um, and she does get a little battle moment. Yeah, she can hold her own. Yeah, she can hold yeah. her own with some guidance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She can hold her own with some guidance. That's a great way of putting it. I, I think she has, in terms of fighting ability, she's at like Hobbit level. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, something because I'm I'm really interested in staying true to the original version of Flash. I. I went back and saw what information we have of these characters. Um, that's the reason Flash isn't a football player in my version. He's a polo player, like in the original. Mm -hmm. um, and the first panels that introduce Flash and Dale, they're both introduced in the same panel of the first uh, the first strip. They're on a plane. And it says, you know, here's a Flash Gordon, Yale graduate, and world-renowned polo champion. And Dale Arden, a passenger. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all we get. Dale Arden, a passenger. And she she doesn't get a job or anything in the first six years of the strip. And that was it's just the pure idea of like, who is Dale? Where was she going? We don't know. And and that and that that's that's I, I loved that it was just there, that I'm I'm not like injecting some some uh like 
modern tension into her. It's I'm 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 following the script, and so who is this this person who who has this temperament, this intelligence, who you know who doesn't think of herself as a brave person, and then oops, ended up saving a planet. Like that's that's the business, man. It's funny because like you can think about the idea of being the passenger as like, well, they didn't have it. Like she got Sue stormed like Sue storm. It's enough that she's the fiance. Like she doesn't really right. need any more context, but like, so you can look at it that way, but there's also something kind of beautiful and Zen about like, aren't we all just passengers, passengers in life? Are we just <laughs> trying to like get through? So I like, I think that there is, um, there's beauty in the vacuity of Ooh. the idea of Dale. Beauty and vacuity. That's awesome. I love that. Um, I think you're totally right. I um, like. There's definitely, uh, you know, if, if we're if we're applying modern storytelling sensibilities to the original Flash Gordon concept, a place my mind went straight away was Lost. Because mm -hmm. um, there, uh, you know, there, there's there's a there's a version of of you that you've left behind and a version of you you get to reinvent. I think it's very present with Zarkov um, where he, uh, he really kind of messed things up on earth. He, uh, he, 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 his reputation is ruined because he said that the sky was falling and nobody believed him. And in trying to save the world, he, he went crazy and, and did a really kind of horrible thing in kidnapping these two people to this planet. So like Zarkov, um, like he, he is definitely somebody who been, who who is viewing this as a second chance, um, and and Flash is just doing what he does, but we don't know how Dale feels about it, um, because she it scares her, but is is a world of Hawkmen and uh, Komok dragons and whatnot? Is that is there is there a chance that's less scary than what's waiting for her at home? Mm. So Dr. Zarkov is such an interesting character. Just the idea of like, you know, we know that he has like that kind of crazed side where if he's in a place where he feels in like ineffectual, he will mm -hmm. like he has the potentiality of going crazy. Being dangerous. Yeah, being really dangerous. And like also the idea of being a scientist and being unaccustomed or like having it trained into you that you can't really make mistakes like mm -hmm. that's why we have controls like so that mistakes are not made so i i love the direction you seem to be nudging that character in uh yeah thank you i i'm zarkov was the character that took the longest to break i actually reached out to uh, my friend and former uh, helioscope studio mate uh, jeff parker who wrote a, a wonderful series of flash gordon books for dynamite um, the solo series with uh, uh, Shainer and then various spinoffs. Um, and, uh, and and what kind of landed on was that Zarkov, uh, Zarkov decided it was his job to save the world. He was going to be like with that bipolar megalomania. Like it's, it's all down to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and he found out that he wasn't 
but by by luck, by a stroke of cosmic coincidence, the actual hero like is is the guy that he brought with him. And so there's such an interesting chemistry of Zarkov um, viewing himself as like these these kids are my responsibility, and Dale and Flash kind of viewing him as their responsibility. Like it's 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 sort of that interesting moment in your twenties where, like, you and your parents, in terms of who's taking care of who, kind of pass in the night. Um, and uh, I don't know. Like I, I get I get excited the more I I talk about it, just because these characters are so elemental that like you you can't help but like to get cool chemical reactions off of them. Yeah, and. and- the way that you're treating them, they really do feel like characters that, uh, from a writing standpoint, get them in a room, get them in a panel, and they're they're going to react the way that they're just going to react. Yeah, it's it's surprising sometimes. Like, um, I uh, I just drew the first strip where Dale and Aura interact, and um, and I and I, I just noticed in that in that it's not like I changed the writing of it because I, I, I have a direction. I have a plan that I want it to go, but it, it's, I, I looked at that strip and then I looked at the strip where she's talking to Queen Freya um, back in one of the early weeks. And I, I realized, Oh, Ara is aggressive around other women. Like mm. Ara takes on a much like a, a sharper waspish kind of Emma Frosty side that is not present when she talks to men. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and I, like you say, like when you put these characters in a room together, you do like you, you do see things that maybe you you wouldn't have expected just because they're so cleanly defined that, uh, uh, that you, it's, it, it, it would be such a mistake to flatten out the edges of these characters. That's why my Zarkov is still bald with a comb over. (laughs) <laughs> uh so we're having this conversation on january 2nd so we're two days into the new year two days into the celebration week that will climax with the 90th anniversary of the alex raymond character flash gordon and uh i don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't caught up yet so if you haven't caught up you need to catch up now yes. uh, yeah. link in the show notes go read the strips um, because I am going to spoil the delight that Dan is doing in the strip this week. Uh, because of the entropy egg, w- reality has become fluid, and your Flash Gordon has wandered into a reality that is very similar to previous Flash Gordons. Mm-hmm. Uh, damn, I was not expecting that, yeah. uh, and it was a total joy. How did we land there? Well, I... Um... I was told to plot Flash Gordon in 10 week arcs. So um uh so I, I had an ending in mind for the first arc. And uh and then I, I realized that the and so I was thinking like, okay, and then the first week of January is the is the 90th anniversary. So we gotta think of something to do for that, for for that Sunday, because Sunday the seventh is the is the actual date. And I and I realized, like, oh wait, that's the week after the end of the ten-week arc, um, 
And how perfect a culmination of that first arc would it be if we use that entire first week to be a 90th anniversary celebration. So I rewrote, um, I rewrote substantial parts of the arc. Like the entropy egg wasn't in it before. Like I, mm. I realized we need it. So I put it on the little shelf in borrower's Firth and, uh, and I just, I reorganized some things. I, um, I, I changed some stuff with the, uh, um, the, the, crashed a deserters colony in, in the jungle um, all to support this week-long story where we cycle through different versions of flash in a way that a wasn't a spider verse because um, like I, I love flash but he's not an interesting enough character for there to be five of them talking to each other <laughs> um, and what uh, he's a very interesting character that would not be an interesting conversation <laughs> um, and uh and and had a i don't know just like a different flavor to it i i was inspired oh i hate that phrase uh i i, I took some cues from this i believe 75th anniversary uh superman animation that came out that oh, had yeah. him cycling to different versions um but the actual uh inspiration for this was a um a doctor who fan edit from like 2007 uh, or so, um, which was just a, a, a mashup of all the different versions of the Doctor, but edited in such a way that like, it edited to a, a window in the skies by U2, mm -hmm. uh, that, that in some way kind of made it feel like there was this one thing echoing through all the versions. And I thought there's gotta be a way to do that in 24 panels. Uh, like, I don't know. So I, 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 I pitched it to King. I asked him if I could use some stuff. I wasn't sure if I could use, um, cause we, we cover, we cover a lot of different versions of them this week. Yeah. It could and, be tricky uh, copyright wise. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and they, they said it was all fair game and I didn't get any, any pushback. There's, there's. There's one thing I got that so, I'm so happy about. Um, let's see, this is coming out on Sunday, but I don't it's, know if Yeah, you it's guys... coming out on the 7th. Uh, you okay. can spoil it for Brad and Lisa. We can take it. Okay. Um, so uh, one of the versions that 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 we have, it's the, the anti-penultimate version, is the Flash from the 90s cartoon. Oh, where no. he's a skateboarder <laughs> and he's wearing a crop top. He's got like the floppy, you know, Jack from Titanic hair. Oh, we're going uh, there. Yeah. Uh, and, and we, uh, uh, Dale is in that one too. So it's the Dale from the cartoon. Um, so just the villain we've introduced for this arc is in it. I, I designed a look for him like based in the universe of that cartoon. Uh, it's. I don't know if it's going to be people's favorite. The one's kind of just for me, but I, uh, I was. I was so happy that they let me do that. Awesome. So you're not establishing a Flash Gordon multiverse. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like I love the idea of Flash Gordon's goodness being a universal con, like constant. Like in every version, he's just like this good, you know, square polo guy. I just. Or skateboard guy, depending. Like, yeah. I just, I just I, love that idea. I agree. I agree. I, th I think, I, I think the same thing that would make 
a conversation between different versions of him not particularly interesting is what makes him wonderful. Yeah. It's that in, in any reality, Flash is uh, Flash, Flash is, is a guy who's going to do the right thing, uh, who's going to selflessly you know, give himself for people and is going to win because he doesn't choke. And, and that's, uh, if we were going to do a flash multiverse story, I, I think it would, it would be something like ending up in a horrible reality mm. and having to find their flash. Mm. Um, like it, it would be like Dale and Zarkov stranded there or something. And then they have to, they have to like, if, if we, if there's anything we can trust, it's that there's a flash here and, and he's going to, like help save us so that that I think would be an interesting type of story that plays off of the idea of his, his constant goodness. Cause I, I, I don't want some weird, like Warren Ellis flash Gordon. I, I, I don't want a, a sour, mean, you know, ineffectual flash. Uh, Cause I, I went to high school in, in uh, Del Mar, California. I, I, I know a lot of guys who are basically flash Gordon, but, douchebags so uh i i don't need to go to another planet for that now that we're just spitballing ideas um <laughs> what if this the only difference between this flash that that dale and dr zarkov are looking for is that he puts out immediately right and so even before like before uh she makes it with her her flash she's she's smitten she's totally smitten and and uh and uh, that then our flash is not her first flash i love that now now i'm just writing alisa i got a, i got a movie for you it's called flesh gordon oh, and... yes. <laughs> man well, that, that is I'm, i was pretty conservative in the stuff i wanted to do with the series in terms of like big changes i wanted to make mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm i'm being pretty i'm keeping the vehicle pretty traditional and then just driving it to different places is kind of my goal but there's definitely looking at the canon. I'm like, man, it would just make a lot of sense for this to be a polycule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's another planet, and they're royalty. Like we can make it, it, this. This could work. Because um, like, yeah. not only is every like every queen they find immediately infatuated with Flash, every like king or duke or whatever they find is immediately infatuated with Dale. Like they they are like the hot young couple that comes to the neighborhood. Um, but uh, I don't know well, well, when they decide to reboot flesh Gordon, maybe that <laughs> maybe, Wait, maybe the, the he, she, or they who's taken over that reboot can, can go where I dare not. And Dan, you know, working this way with the strip, um, I, I imagine it comes with a lot of challenges, but also delights as well. Uh, it, you know, is this something that you could see yourself working within for a long time? I, I would really like that. A, I like the job security, but also, um, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. I, I need to find ways to streamline it. Um, thinking of onboarding an assistant, but there's so much to cover here. There's so much potential and, um, uh, I have a, I, I, for, for all the benefit of the doubt I like to give people, I think I've got an innately pessimistic nature when it comes to the future. 
And when I look at the strips I've done so far, I, I see myself being like, all right, I don't know how long I get to be here. I really want to cover some territory while I'm here. Um, and to get to a point where I, like the dream is I get to a point where I'm not so concerned about that. A, not concerned about that, and B, having established a lot of stuff that it that we can spend, you know, three months in a in a gear that we couldn't do right when we started. Um, do stories like set in the past, go back to Earth, um, do do stories that focus on different characters. Even um, I, because once you get this thing off the ground like the original strips were it can go anywhere um a wonderful uh, uh reader and and friend of mine from back in portland nicholas prom sent me a collection of the dan barry flash gordon strips the the, the daily strips not, not just the sundays um, which were written by harvey kurtzman uh, and, and they're, they're so good there's like a like a four month long storyline set on a like a a prison colony and that that's so cool it's just yeah. it's one it's one big it's like dread the movie um <laughs> in in daily strip form so the, the answer yeah i i would love to stick around but man even if i don't get to stick around um they decide to go in a different direction with the strip or something else happens already this has been such a such a fulfilling experience for me it's it's kind of the really the culmination of what i've been working on in my career not only in the sense of trying to find ways to do more condensed storytelling whether it's uh trying to fit like an issue a week into the scrolling format of lavender jack on webtoon or it's just my goofy little instagram gag comics i've, I've been trying to find ways to just capture golden silver ages comics ability to smush a whole world into an issue and this uh has been my most daunting and i like to think most successful version of that yet and to do it with these huge characters you know i, I got a chance to to uh to try that out with the spirit i had a I had an opportunity to kind of create something like that from scratch with lavender jack but to do it with you know, the, the character who really, in a lot of ways, is the original Superman. Um, it's an honor, a thrill. I think it's been a success. Uh, I'm very, I'm very lucky and very happy. Have you found that since you've been channeling Flash Gordon and you've been like getting into his brain space. He's always a he's a guy who's always stating his principles and then immediately living up to them. Do you feel like you have a little Flash Gordon in you now that helps. <laughs> Are you becoming, you know, a man of action? Well, it's it's kind of funny. Um, there's a uh, there's this this example Bendis gave. Uh, I took his class when I was living in Portland, and he there's some Gene Hackman movie where he plays a thief, and uh, when asked how he you know executes his his heist, Hackman says. I, I imagine what a smarter man than me would do. And then I do that. Mm. Um, and uh, there's definitely an element of that with flash. I'm like, okay, what would a more confident, more honest, more um, focused and like Zen person than me do. And uh, 
And yeah, there's, I think it's very therapeutic to be inside that certainty. Um, and, uh, uh, it was the same thing with, uh, Madame Teresa Ferrier, the, this elderly detective who was, a, who was a, a primary character in Lavender Jack. She was so wise and so, uh, patient and, and observant that I, I found it almost like meditative to, to, to work on her. And, uh, same with, with Flash. It's, a. Uh, if nothing else, he's like a wonderful hip hop beats to study and relax to. Mm. I love that. I love that. I believe the Gene Hackman movie is David Mamet's heist. Yes. Is oh a my great God. Film. It's, it's just called heist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Brad is encyclopedic. Uh, and I love Gene Hackman. And he does love, I love Gene, Gene Hackman. Hackman. That is the truth. Um, Dan, I can tell you that, uh, for the first time in our married lives, we have bought physical newspapers to read <laughs> Flash Gordon. So you've got us buying newspapers uh, in in the real world again. Paper form. They're not just for laying down on the carpet to do crafts anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I, I, I was so happy when I saw you guys post that because I still haven't seen one in, in person. Oh man! Uh, they they don't have. I my neighborhood is is like a very trendy food desert. So there, there's no places around here that sell newspapers, and none of the other places in town I can I can find carry um, carry the the Washington Post or uh, or USA Today or anywhere else. Send where it's us to your be. address. Send us okay. your address, and we can send you the physical copies. They are stunning. There's definitely an abstract element to to doing. Um, what are essentially web comics like a lot of people are consuming um, flash gordon uh, digitally which i love which is great it's got a, it's got a big reach um but just like when i was doing a webtoon there's a element of it not feeling real um certainly when i was doing it during covid um you know i was i was making rent and i was you know i was seeing a bunch of comments but i, I couldn't touch it it wasn't so it would be very cool to to actually you know, smudge my fingertips on, on one of these. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully we get a collection of some kind yeah, at some, in some point in the future. I would love that. If I, I have an idea, I'm going to pitch them for a way to do that. So we'll see. Mm. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and talking Flash Gordon and celebrating Flash Gordon. 90 years of it's Alex crazy, Raymond's right? Flash Gordon. Yeah, crazy. And Thank you. Thank you so much. This is um, whenever you're invited to have a conversation with anybody, you, you go into it with the best of intentions and you, you go into it with some stuff in the back pocket of how you're going to answer the, the questions everybody asks. And you ask none of them. You, you guys <laughs> both had such such wonderful bespoke questions and, and you, you clearly, I don't know, it's very validating for me to, to uh, feel the enthusiasm that you guys have so thank you thank you for the presence of that you made it easy by making good comics Heck, well uh thank you both so much uh and hey happy new year happy new year and there you have it our conversation with dan scotty talking about flash gordon currently syndicated by king features again link in the show notes you do need to be reading these comics they are freaking good
I now have a new favorite superpower that I desperately want, the power to not choke. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yes. Uh, Flash Gordon, you know, he's not the man of steel, but he is the person who will never choke, and I want to be that person. Yeah, the ability to know exactly what you're capable of in the moment, no nerves, no, like, no concerns or worries, just, like, just man of action. You know, like, that type of character, the character who is total confidence, and that confidence leads to a fearlessness and an inability to choke, that character can be boring if handled in a certain way, but... It reminds me of the way that Richard Stark writes the Parker character mm. in his Parker novels, which were, of course, adapted by Darwin Cook in a series of graphic novels. That character, like Parker, he was a guy who got the job done. You never worried that he wasn't going to make it out or that he was going to be on the losing end of things. But for me, that came from like this place of just like hate you know what i mean uh, like like he knew what he was capable of and he was actually devoid of well, like love well, he was immoral i don't know if i would say it comes from a place of hate maybe it comes from a place of a morality but i don't even think it really comes from that it comes from a place of pure talent mm. you know flash gordon is good-hearted and parker is bad-hearted but they're both extremely talented in their skill set and it's that total confidence that I find attractive in both characters, because I do not have that. And in the wrong hands, stories involving those characters could be incredibly boring. How do you make a story interesting when you have a character that is going to win, that the audience knows is going to win? Parker is a character of complete selfishness. Like, he doesn't really care what happens to anybody else as long as he continues to bed women and make money. Like right. that's his entire, where I feel like Flash Gordon is the embodiment of selflessness. Yes. And I think the peril for him is going to be when he begins loving certain people more than others. Like when he <laughs> yeah, starts yeah. going like, I want to protect Dale so much more than I want to protect this other like group of people. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's another uh, similarity between Flash Gordon and Parker is that they are both very horny. <laughs> right, right, right. But they both kind of don't have a dog in the fight. You know what I mean? When pa yes. when Parker is is um, hired for a job, he really doesn't care how it turns out for any party in general. And for Flash Gordon, like he is on the side of like life yeah. and continuing to live. Like like everybody has an equal right but to continue to exist. But they're not complex and they're not yeah. necessarily political. Right, right. What a fun comparison. How dare you? Of course, if I had the never choke powers, I, I would use them <laughs> selfishly. Like I, I would be Taylor Swift right now. I would be a billionaire looking fabulous in a sparkly suit and not caring. There are just so many times I can think of just at, in my performing life where I go like, things would have gone differently if I could be at ease with myself and with the situation and be able to recreate what I recreated in my coaching session or in the practice room. Yeah, so when you're reading the Flash Gordon strip as imagined by Dan Scotty, you do kind of fall in love with Flash is like, I got this. Mm -hmm. And the excitement comes out of the various scenarios that Dan Scotty sets up to celebrate that personality. This conversation was revelatory to me 
in that like I'm just like so jaded I'm reading the story and I go like Flash Gordon has to have some kind of like dark side sure and to hear the mechanic of his story say oh no this engine runs perfectly. Yeah. He is always going to do the good, the right thing. And and, and he, he's going to succeed. Yeah, yeah. It's gotten me even more curious about, like, how do you sustain a story that way? Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited at the possibility of how long Dan can run with this character. How long King Features will allow Dan to be the quarterback or to be the coach to Flash Gordon's quarterback, even though he's a polo player in the continuity of this story. Dan is also holding the ace in his back pocket of whatever he has planned for Dale. Mm. She's no longer going to be the vacuous passenger character. He he has more in store for her. And I am on board for whatever that is. Yeah, that was the other element from the conversation that I really like ignited over. The concept of Dale as passenger. Mm-hmm. Like the concept of the passenger as this metaphor for all of us, as you were exploring in the conversation with Dan. Ooh, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. And that's something I think that we could later apply to other character dynamics as we explore them on this podcast. I kind of regret. You're supposed to live without regrets. I live. (laughs) I am. what My muscles are held together by regret. I kind of regret not digging into Dan Scotty's Flash Gordon more earnestly before the Stampies because I feel Mm. like if I had been really wrapping my mind around it and wrapping my mind around what he is accomplishing with this story, it would have gotten, we would have talked about it and promoted it on those two episodes. Yeah, and you know, like like we said in our Stampies episodes, 2023 was just such a colossal year for great comics, and we just did not have enough space, even in two episodes, to put all of our favorite books, and to celebrate all of our favorite books. And so Lisa and I are putting together our top 50 favorite comics of 2023, and we're going to drop that article into our website on Monday. So tomorrow you should have access to that. So head on over to Comic Book Couples Counseling because yeah, like, you know, Flash Gordon, Dan Scotty is doing some really interesting stuff there stylistically and also, you know, in a meta context. Yeah, and I feel like not enough comic book people are talking about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I had a lot of people this week as I was promoting this episode and retweeting Dan's strips go like, hey, where can I find this? And I would send them to the King Features website. And again, link in the show notes. You can go right to the latest Flash Gordon strip, which is the 90th anniversary strip, and give that a read. And then just work your way. Don't work your way backward. Jump back to October of last year and read everything that Dan has done. You know, you could read all of his Flash Gordon in a really quick pace. Yeah, it's a really quick read and it's well worth your time. You know what is also worth your time? What's that? Whatever we have going on next week. Next week, we have another creator conversation, this time with Jadzia Axelrod, the writer behind the recent Hawk Girl miniseries. We've already had that conversation, and it was a freaking delight. So fun, and we get a lot of galaxy talk in there, a lot which of galaxy you talk. know I love. And after that episode, we will officially launch our Scott Summers and Emma Frost Counseling Sessions series. 
and we will begin with the final chapter of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run, which I believe is Ultimate Collection Volume 3. Lisa has not yet read those comics, and I'm very excited for her to do so. Lisa, you haven't picked a counselor for that session yet either. No, I'm really, really kicking this can down the road. It is time for me to make a decision, and yet it hasn't happened. You have seven days to do so, (laughs) Lisa. That's plenty of time. Okay, Brad, we better wrap it up because I had scrambled entropy eggs for breakfast. <laughs> oh, no. And I am feeling disordered. I'm feeling chaos and randomness. <laughs> Where can our <laughs> listeners send their words of affirmation to you? That's how I felt in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> With that whole bowel situation. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. That's called a callback. Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have some words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, show poster, and fifth anniversary poster, send them to Karen Chap at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Audible, Apple Podcasts, whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast.gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an active service... Why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.